means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are covering chapter 28, Snape's Worst Memory. Jen is with us today. Hey guys. And uh, this is a big chapter. It's a loaded one. And obviously we get a little bit of Snape's history in this one. So, uh, really quick, just running through the chapter, we do get another educational decree. This one's number 28. Awesome that it's chapter 28, gives us decree number 28. We get the Inquisitorial Squad. We get a meeting between Umbridge and Harry. Uh, We get some twin shenanigans. And we get some Occlumency lessons. And that might lead us into Snape's worst memory. (laughs) Uh, so, Jen, what are your thoughts on Educational Decree number 28? I think the whole situation is a farce. Yeah? It's completely uncalled for. Obviously, this is what the Ministry wanted and what they felt was an appropriate measure to try to replace Albus Dumbledore after he escaped. It's bogus. This whole thing is a sham. I'm not a fan of it. So, obviously, this decree, I guess we should say what the actual decree is, it officially puts Dolores Jane Umbridge into the head of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry role, replacing Albus Dumbledore. I would just like to remind everybody that she literally physically assaulted a student in front of the Minister of Magic mere pages ago. (laughs) Like, not months ago. She doesn't make... uh good choices uh moral choices not really her strong suit she is very much a slytherin and a slytherin in an evil sense she is not someone who should be in a position of power especially over people who are younger than her um she's not qualified in any sort of educational sense uh or any sort of managerial sense Mm -hmm. um she's basically the last person that you would want to be in charge of a school of students who are young and vulnerable and impressionable. So, obviously, clearly, the whole school knows that Albus Dumbledore flew the coup. And what happened. Yeah. And now, speaking of details of what happened, we get a quote from Ernie McMillan here. Yes. Who says, the fat friar told him that Umbridge tried to re-enter the headmaster's office, but the gargoyle wouldn't let him in. And she threw a fit about it. <laughs> I love Ernie, and I love this retelling. I would love to take this as, as face value fact. <laughs> uh, he does have a, you know... Uh, small pension. He or... has a small pension for exaggerating and hyperbole. Yeah. So I don't know how much of this is to the word accurate. Still, it's fun to imagine. (laughs) But if it was true, let's take this for absolute truth. Is this further proof that Hogwarts and the magic of Hogwarts, or magic in general, has a sense of sentience to it where it can kind of dictate things? I think it's a good 
indicator that Dumbledore needs to open up a security company. Yeah. So you think it's Dumbledore specifically is like anybody but her. Anybody would, can get in but her. I would love to think that that was it's a part little, of it. It's a little petty, but I do. He's not above being petty. Yeah, I agree with. He's that. a petty, petty man. <laughs> Um, but at, to, to your actual point, well, we do see that with, um, you know, the wand chooses the wizard. There is yeah. a, definitely an underlying sense of there is some sort of relationship the wizards have with magical objects. This could be another I good example of I liken it to the force in Star Wars. Like, it wills yeah. it. Like, yeah. the magic's like, you didn't earn this. This isn't you. You shouldn't be in here. Yes. And Hogwarts is a interesting castle. I would love the idea that Hogwarts just has an inherent loyalty to Dumbledore and just understands that he's there to be a protector and that he's not doing evil. Do you think just when everybody left, he just circled back into the office and they just won't let anybody else into the office while he's in there? I was wondering that. Maybe he's just (laughs) living in there. Maybe there's no sentience whatsoever and he's just locked it from the inside. I mean, maybe, right? (laughs) Anyway. Um, also, as an aside on that, I love the idea that students gossip with the ghosts. Oh, I mean, the ghosts have got to know all the info, I know. Right? I, I would completely assume that the ghosts know everything, but I love the idea that, like, Ernie's off there gossiping with the fat fryer. I would totally want to befriend a ghost. Uh, see, that's true, except I guess my only thing would be you got to have the right ghost. Yeah, not Bloody Baron. Right. I don't think Slytherins and Bloody Baron are just gossiping. No, not at all. Fat Friar could be a nice, genial, <laughs> conversational ghost. I think Nearly Headless Nick would like to be, except everybody keeps bringing up the fact that he's nearly headless. I don't understand how it... I feel like this is something that we see throughout the books, and I don't really understand how no one's caught on to the fact that you have to address Nick with some sort of tact. You know, some sort of social grace. He's a, he seems like he's a ghost who's very much into etiquette. And I feel like if you just put that foot forward and you learned proper ghost etiquette, you could be BFFs with him. Well, see, someone has got to do this somewhere. And there might be a Reddit thread somewhere that someone can pour through. Mm-hmm. Has every conversation with Nearly Headless Nick ended with someone advertently or inadvertently insulting him and then thus conversation ending? That's the thing. Most of them, it feels like it has. Someone's got to have that count somewhere. I'm sure that it's somewhere. But that's, if you just learn proper etiquette. Ghost etiquette. Ghost etiquette. Then you could be BFFs with Nick. Can you write, like, a little subsection for ghost etiquette somewhere along the line? Yes. Okay. We'll put that up on our on our socials. Ghost <laughs> etiquette rules. Number one, don't mention if their head's almost off. Seems like a gimme. Yeah, if they're seemingly sensitive to that fact, maybe <laughs> not bring it up every time you talk to them. <laughs> so, but you know who's uh, constantly uh, in violation of proper etiquette? Who? The Inquisitorial Squad. Nice, nice transition. They are uh, constantly uh, perpetuating some not-so-great scenarios just for the fact that they can now deduct house points. So perpetuating the already negative Slytherin stereotypes. Yes, that would be correct. Yes. Yep. Uh, so much so that uh, we... So the Inquisitorial Squad is made up of a select group of pro-ministry, quote-unquote, students selected by Professor Umbridge. Sorry, headmistress Umbridge at this Mistress, point. if she were here, you would be in trouble. I would be. I'd have markings on my hand. <laughs> um, so we learned that they can deduct house points, which is different from a prefect because prefects cannot deduct house points. That's bogus. 
Um, we get five from Hermione for being disrespectful. We get five from Ernie for contradicting Malfoy. We get five from Ron for having his shirt untucked, <laughs> which I did go to a private school and we would get in trouble for having our uniforms out of order. So I do understand that. That's <laughs> somewhat fair, as hilarious as it sounds. And then five from Harry for from Malfoy for uh, just not liking him. Yeah. Just not liking Harry, so five points. Then, to perpetuate your Slytherin mm-hmm. uh, bit, we get another ten deducted from Hermione for being a mudblood. I feel like, you know, I understand that this inquisitorial squad has been given free reign. feel like it should stop its slurs, right? Like, this is a Just wizarding slur. Blatant racism? Right. Yeah. Like, eh, that feels pretty bad. Do you think somewhere there's, like, a record of point deductions? Some quill is just writing, like, there were five points to Hermione Granger for answering question correctly. There were negative ten points for Hermione for being a mudblood. Like, do you think there's a quill taking note of all of the plus minuses? There's an audit somewhere. Yeah, exactly. They could just read it through at the end of the year and figure out. Plus a hundred. Dumbledore's being Dumbledore again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, do you think there's <laughs> some sentient quill just writing all of this down? Oh, I hope there is. Wouldn't that be something? There That'd probably be should be, right? Absolutely. Somebody disputes it, and they could just be, like, going back to the record. That was one thing that always bothered me about the house points, was I never understood how you could ever feel secure with the number of house points that you had, because anywhere in the castle, at any given point, someone could be taking points away. Can and- Filch take points away? Um, I think he can. He's a staff member, right? But he... Oof. That's a good question. Have we ever seen him do that? I don't think so. I don't think we've ever but seen him do that. But you think he'd be, that. like, telling but everybody... But he's a squib, so... I don't know how that magic works. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. But do you see where the house uh, the, the house points would give me anxiety? Well, it would be stressful. The whole system seems odd. And obviously, you're putting a lot on your staff to do it appropriately yes and not abuse that system yes which ironically of any uh, people immediately jump to snape and like oh he clearly abuses it i'm sorry i think dumbledore abuses it by far the most dumbledore but the difference in my mind is that dumbledore abuses it for the good and snape abuses it for the from bad. our point of view no well from any point of view that's not a Slytherin which but to be fair to the Slytherins like Dumbledore is yes he's chucking a lot of points at Gryffindor at the end of the year the exact amount they need he's manipulating it there I will give you that on the other hand there were some very notable things that happened for him to retain the points versus Snape being like pretty much the same as Malfoy being like oh are you being sassy Potter minus 50 and then Malfoy doesn't get anything deducted, even though Malfoy started it. Like, that's where it's not fair. Harry Potter saved the world, plus 100. Hermione helped him, plus 100. Ron helped him, plus 100. Neville (laughs) stood up to them, plus 10. Lavender didn't get in the way, plus 10. Like, you just, like, where does it end? Anyway. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Got into a bigger debate about house points than I thought we were going to get into. Uh, Speaking of house points, though, Fred and George explained that they almost had points taken away. Um, but they end up uh, getting rid of Montague yes. in the vanishing cabinet on the first floor. That's a clever way to get out of getting points taken away. I feel like a vanishing cabinet shouldn't be readily accessible to anyone at any given time. That's a fair point. 
Like that seems. We like don't know why it was there. A fairly, I. That seems like a fairly advanced magical object that has consequential usage, and it's just open to anybody. Uh, it just seemed. Did odd. they say where it was on the first floor? No, they just said first floor. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of because in my mind, for some reason, I always assumed it was like a staff room or something. Hermione says that's, you know, that's really dangerous. Why are you doing that? And they go into an explanation that I think is great. They say that they always knew where the line was between getting into trouble and, like, an expulsion-level event. Mm -hmm. That's a phrase. And they've always knew where that line was, and they've always kind of skirted that line, sometimes putting a toe over that edge, but never really causing any true destructive damage that really mattered. Until now. Yay. And they've made the decision that it is time to cross that line. And they don't care. Remember that they're of age now. They don't have to be at Hogwarts. You can leave Hogwarts after your OWLs in your fifth year, if you so choose. So their mindset is, you know what? Dumbledore was here. We were cool with it. This lady, this lady bothers us. So we're gonna we're gonna make her life challenging until we leave. I get it. I get it too. It's fair. And when Fred and George are saying that, it's just like Ron and Hermione kind of react with like, "What are you guys gonna do? Because <laughs> you guys have done some pretty big stuff. What in the world do you have planned?" And that caution is also warranted. Yeah. <laughs> It's a little scary to see what they, or think what they might come up with. Then we get Umbridge wanting to meet with Harry. And that's an alarming thought, if you're Harry. Always. Uh, that, I like his response, like, I didn't do it. <laughs> and Filch is like, well, that's a guilty conscience. <laughs> Harry, I, I, you know, I like Harry, but he's such an idiot. Oh, we haven't even gotten to the stupid bits of this yet. I know. We get some rumors that Filch is actually trying to get approval for torture. That's good. And he's trying to get Peeves expelled, which that, I figure, should be right at the top of his wish list. I mean, t- okay, as much as I don't like Filch, I'm with him on that. There's a couple things I can agree with him about. First, his compulsion to keep the floors clean. I feel that on a very deep level. Fair enough. And secondly, it would make my job a lot harder if there was a poltergeist running around undoing all of the work that I did. So, like, I get that one. You know, I feel like there could be a whole other book of just Peeves versus Filch. Yes. Like, we barely really get any of it. And I think they have, like, their arch nemesis to each other. Yes, they I are. would love to see that kind of... Maybe a cute side thing. Yeah, so he get, he finally brings Harry to Umbridge's office, which is her office, not the headmaster's office, because he can't get in there. Wonderful. And she immediately offers Harry a drink and is um, very, I, I don't want to say pleasant, because she's just unpleasant, but <laughs> more pleasant than normal. Yeah, overly saccharine. Yes. And he, she really tries to ensure that he takes a sip, which Harry picks up on. Which, as dumb as he is for just, you know, flinging the words out there like, I didn't do it. Yeah. He is smart here. Because he flashes back to, 
Moody telling him, like, if Moody and Sirius found out that he, and he says it, took a drink from a specifically known enemy. Yes. What they would think of him. Like, that's immediately ousted from the order forever, right? I mean, come yes. on. Be that's better. That's shame. Shame on him. So he does at least, at least think of that. I have written in my notes, in all capital letters, smart Harry moment. Yeah. Like, I'm very proud of him for this moment. He actually saw something in the moment and reacted to prevent a worse scenario. I think he handles the situation quite well. Because he, like, he fakes the sip. Yep. And then as soon as he, like, fakes the sip, she, like... Well, first of all, this is way too aggressive on her part. Oh, yeah. Like, as <laughs> like if you weren't sure about her intentions, <laughs> after you fake one sip... Now she like just like yeah. she should have played She's... her cards a little bit better, but you know whatever. So obvious. Where is Albus Dumbledore? Where is Sirius Black? Those are the first two questions out of her mouth, like back to back. Yes. And he does a good job of like I don't know another fake sip. Well, I don't know another fake sip. And then he's selling it very well. He is selling it very well, and she does drop a little info that all of the fires except for hers, are being watched by network regulators at the Ministry of Magic. All owl post is being opened and read by the Inquisitorial <laughs> Squad, which I feel like is... Can you imagine that job? Like, that would be awful. And then Filch is also watching every secret passage in and out of the castle. That's a lot. So one of the things that I don't like about Umbridge is I feel like so she's she's watching all of the the fires except hers in the hope to catch someone in the act or some perpetrator or whatever and that really just underscores to me how if something were threatening Hogwarts Dumbledore would make sure that everyone's fire was being watched even his own because Dumbledore's not above scrutiny and I feel like not only is her purpose for all of these privacy invasions uh, purely for her own interest but then she also thinks that she's above everything and shouldn't have her fire watched yeah I think it's a sense of security in that she has carte blanche if you will yes. to do whatever Yeah, and no one's ever gonna look back on her actions and be like I'm sorry what right <laughs> But she is in a position where she should be accountable. And I, she is skirting accountability here. I still don't understand all of the things that she's done. How does nothing get out? I still don't understand that. Like, how do parents... Parents heard yep. if Hagrid did something wrong. Or Lupin did something questionable. No one saying a word about the abuses that Umbridge is putting on people? Well, the Inquisitorial Squad is censoring all of the mail. So how do you get a message out? Well, now, yeah. Now it would be right. awfully difficult. Prior to this, I would have thought that there would have been many more parents who would have come and right? yelled like, and this complained. This is not okay. And, None no, of this is okay. Not. No, she's, she's, a, she's a complete dictator at this point. Yeah. And then we hear a large boom. And the boom happens, and a large box of fireworks were set off, causing all kinds of chaos. And we learn that it's Fred and George's creation, Weasley's Wildfire Whizbangs. Which... <laughs> explode if you try to stun them. And then they they were really hoping for somebody to try to vanish them because then they multiply like tenfold. Yep. 
which is stunning magic. If we just like stop and pause for a second, it's really great magic. They're br- the Weasleys are brilliant. The Weasleys as a whole are brilliant. They're a brilliant family. They're what I would like to refer to as low-key geniuses. Yeah. Where it's not necessarily obvious to the passerby, but if you like know them yeah. and know what they're capable of, they are unbelievably intelligent. They're very unassuming. And creative. Very it's, creative. To get that combo of creativity and intelligence is special. Yeah. The fireworks continue, and they go on and on and on and on and on. And none of the teachers seem able to rid their classrooms of it. Uh, even the McGonagall's and Flitwick's of the world. Crazy. However, Flitwick does say, you know, uh, headmistress, I could have probably taken care of this. I just didn't know that I was able to. Like, am I allowed to help here, or should I just sit and do nothing? I love that. I so, love like, the just, passive resistance. Oh, just taking little pot shots at yep. Umbridge. It's great. It's, it's like perfect. the teachers have formed their own, like, alliance against this. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. I love it. Their teacher's lounge must be quite the place to be. Oh, so much fun. <laughs> there has to be such a... I want to see McGonagall and Flitwick going on rants about Just Umbridge. trade barbs back and yeah. forth about Umbridge and... Yeah. Planning what else they can do for passive resistance. Uh, I, I just love that idea that none of the teachers are like, oh, okay, you know, well, you know, just call call Umbridge down. Call the headmistress down. She'll take care of this. She'll take care of this. She'll take care of this. Okay. <laughs> so now we got Hermione feeling rebellious. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> and I love how that's like a big moment, too. Like, they build up for it, and she's like, rebellious. I'm feeling rebellious. Yep. Okay. All right. They, All right, Hermione. They italicize it in the, in the text. We do have another dream uh, where Harry seems to have found what um, what he's wanted all this time. Speeding through room after room after room, and then he gets this, like, jolt of, I found it. This is what I'm looking for. And then he gets woken up. Yep. And he feels like there's been, I think he uses the f- term, like, a tasty, like a treat has been taken taken away from him. I have some thoughts on yes. on this whole dream circumstance. Yes. But I'll save those for the spoilers. Yes. He does, he's very emotional when he wakes up. It seems like it was a very vivid dream. Yeah. Um, we get another Cho-Harry interaction. I know you haven't had a chance yet to impart your thoughts on the whole Cho-Harry date and everything that has fallen, the fallout from that whole experience. <laughs> but here, uh, it's a kind of an interesting interaction. You get Cho talking to Harry about Marietta. Almost, it didn't start this way, but it kind of ended with her just flat out trying to defend Marietta and, and what she did. And... It ends up with Cho blasts Hermione for the spell that she put on the parchment. And then she also accuses Harry of being like, oh, well, if it was, you know, darling old Hermione's decision, yeah. then I guess it's okay. But anything else anybody else does is it's terribly wrong. And then Harry comes back with, just tell me you're not going to cry again. That's so savage. That, that is brutal. That is so mean. That's, yeah, that's... It's funny, but it's cruel. It... Yeah, I mean, I have to. My initial reaction is to chuckle because I'm like, oh, "That's a that's a burn." Yeah, like that's a harsh burn. But then I'm like, "That is harsh." Yeah, that's too much. Yeah, I think it's a little too much. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I'm a little conflicted. <laughs> do you, do you get Cho's point here or where she's coming from on this? Yeah, I think I could I could walk you through where Cho's coming from with this, and I think it's 
I think she's approaching Harry because there's still maybe a modicum of interest left over there. And she's, I don't know, she's just trying to like feel him out or just kind of chat him up about the latest events or looking for an opportunity to maybe reset and like re-emotionally bond over the fact that they're now in this position. And I think that she approaches it from a place where she's got a lot more empathy for Marietta because Marietta's been her friend. Uh, I think at this point in the story, it's kind of trying to emphasize that some of the girls have matured a little bit faster emotionally than the boys. And it shows no stranger to dealing with a lot of emotions at the same time. That was kind of why we saw her break down in the tea room on the date. So she's approaching it from a place where she's not necessarily... I don't think she starts out defending Marietta, but I think she's trying to kind of empathize with Marietta. I don't think that she agrees with Marietta's decision to turn the DA in, but I think she's saying, oh, well, Marietta was in a rough place and her mom works for it and, like, she got, you know, kind of trying to not excuse but just explain. Do you think we don't know the full story here? Because, so Cho knows more about Marietta and her background and her home life and everything like that. Yeah. And we've heard that her mother works for the Ministry of Magic, specifically. Mm-hmm. And that's all we really know tangentially. Do you think she knows more details? Do we think that Marietta's mom was actually placed under pressure? I mean, we know how Umbridge is. Yeah. Do you no. think the mom was placed under like specific pressure like these students are placed under pressure by umbridge and maybe the mom was like marietta if you know anything like we're struggling here like we need some kind of uh parachute yeah i mean it's it's and then she puts pressure on marietta and then marietta's like i guess i have to break there are a number of scenarios where it could become very muddy where you know if the ministry is offering some sort of reward financial or otherwise and they're on hard times or just aren't you know in a good place to begin with on the line yeah right we're like you know then there's so much pressure then that gets put on marietta because she knows this and she doesn't want to betray joe or the other people but then you know does she put her family first or does she put her friends first so like there is definitely a lot of room in the story for details like that that we just aren't aware of Mm -hmm. um and we see her go to a lot of the da meetings and you know there are times where she looks apprehensive or she hangs back a little bit but then there are other times where it seems like she's participating and, and having a good time so it's it's not like it came out of nowhere i think it probably was something that was festering a bit based on her behavior I'm not going to put Harry on blast for this because I think most people his age in his situation yeah. wouldn't think outside the box a little bit here. And I get his frustrations and I get his anger with everything and that's all valid. Uh, so I'm not putting Harry on blast here, but I don't think he's capable of thinking, hey, wait. There might be extenuating circumstances here as to why Marietta may have made the decision that she made. And maybe we shouldn't just completely... Like, she had her punishment. Her punishment yeah. is what it is now. Yeah. 
you shouldn't judge someone without like being in their shoes for a little bit first. Yeah. And, and we don't know. We don't know what that situation was like. If Umbridge or someone from the ministry did put a little extra pressure on the family or yeah. the mom or whatever. And I, I don't know. I mean, we could be reading way too much into Cho's defense of Marietta here. But maybe? I don't think that... Like I said, I don't think that Cho starts out defending Marietta. I think yeah. that she gets backed into that corner because of how hostile Harry responds to yeah. what she's trying to to explain the right. situation. And I think there is probably no right or wrong answer to this because under even if Harry were able to um, empathize with where Marietta was coming from with all of this and understanding that you know she did it out of you know she wasn't being malicious necessarily when she turned him in. Her actions did have consequences. They did have an effect on Harry. They did lead to this situation. So even if he is able to empathize with her, that doesn't necessarily negate the fact that he's still in this position and he has every right to be angry about being in in the position that he's in. So, and that's kind of where I think this gets a little bit, this is where their communication breaks down because she's looking for a response of empathy from him or curiosity or opening a dialogue to discuss it and he responds with just his anger about the effects of what her actions were that pushes Cho a little bit further into a corner then they start changing, uh, exchanging barbs and between the personal. two of them and then it ends up in it, that's yeah. it I will say this before everybody jumps on me for like oh you hammered Harry and Marietta's not innocent and blah 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 okay I will put Marietta on blast for this you know what doesn't help her case the fact that it was very clear that she didn't want to be there in the first place and everybody could see that. Like, her attitudes toward the DA don't put her in a good position to be uh, defended. Yeah. I mean, I think that this one is difficult because we just don't know what her reason was for turning them in. So right. when you read this initially and you read it and you're on Harry's side and, you know, he's the protagonist, he's the side that you're meant to take, you're very blindly, like... Marietta's you should also terrible. be angry at Marietta. Yeah. yeah, and I think on subsequent reads, you can gain a little bit of empathy for her because she was put in a poor situation, whether it was a situation where she just made the wrong choice to join the DA and then felt stuck in that situation and felt like she needed to get out, or now she has to live with the consequences of having sneak written across her face and a bunch of pimples. But that still doesn't negate that like she did do something that messes with the trio. Yeah. It has immediate and severe consequences. So both things can be true. You can empathize with her and still think that she was should not have done that and it seems to me like we might have a Marietta poll in our future. Ooh, exciting. maybe. Um so we end up going to uh some Aquamessy lessons, which Harry is dreading because he has not practiced at all. Despite Dumbledore and his final words before departure being, take this seriously. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Uh, he has not practiced at all. And literally just had a dream where he felt elated at the result of it. And that's not concerning him. It's concerning him now that he has to go face Snape about it. But generally, it's not really concerning him very much. You know what this reminds me of? What? The Triwizard Tournament. Yeah. Where he didn't seem all that concerned until the actual task was facing him. And then he's like, oh, wait, I haven't prepared at all for this. The night before. Yeah, it's like, we're getting a pattern here. But anyway. So, huh. luckily for Harry, Draco ends up interrupting the Aquamancy lesson right as it is about to get started. 
saying that Montague has indeed been found jammed inside a toilet on the fourth floor. I have questions. Yeah? How does... Montague is a little older at this point, so he's almost a pretty full-grown adult. Getting, Getting there. And the verbiage is jammed inside a toilet. Yes. How? Magic. What? (laughs) (laughs) That is alarming and disturbing at the same time. I want to know how he got from the vanishing cabinet to the toilet. Does the vanishing cabinet just send you to that specific toilet on the fourth floor? Is that its function? That's a really specific and kind of useless vanishing cabinet. (laughs) Did the twins put some charm on it to specifically send him to a toilet? Also, if you're going to send him to a toilet, if you really wanted to really get at him, send him to the toilet that Myrtle also occupies. Oh, that's mean. Right? That's just mean. That would be an interesting experience altogether. But That would be very interesting. (laughs) Interesting is the right word. Uh, So, I, I mean, I just have questions about that. Uh, But Snape runs off to help Montague out of the toilet, which is an odd sense I thought I'd never say. But there you go. That would be the hard part, I think, about being a professor at Hogwarts, is you never know what exactly you're going to have to deal with on any given day. And rescuing a student from being jammed into a toilet would probably not be the highlight of my day. (laughs) No, but I would talk about it in the teacher's lounge. That's true. (laughs) Like, this idiot (laughs) had to get him out of a toilet today. (laughs) That would make good gossip. That's fair. But also Snape uh, tells Draco that Potter is there for remedial potions. Yeah, which Draco hadn't caught wind of that yet. Which I'm surprised he hadn't caught wind of that yet. Yeah, but he looks delighted knowing that. Yeah. See, though, I know Draco wants to just believe the worst in Harry and make fun of Harry. But if you really thought about it for two seconds... He, hopefully, would think that that's kind of odd. Because, mainly, and I'm not even talking about Harry's potion skills and how he's doing in the class. I'm talking about, why would Snape volunteer to spend more time with Harry Potter? To give him help. Is it that he's volunteering, or is it framed maybe a little bit more as, like, a requirement, right? Like, if you have to pass potions... Yeah. Do you have a choice? It's still Snape, though. Snape would, well, you know, Snape would make that. And I think Snape, if that were the real case, Snape would like announce it in class, in some way, shape, or form. You know what I mean? Like he would make everybody aware that's that Harry had to do remedial potions. That's fair. That part some I would find comment, a little bit suspect. Whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Harry makes the wonderful decision that he needs to look inside the pensieve that Snape always puts his memories into before occlumency lessons. I don't understand Uh, so much about Harry. His curiosity overwhelms him. And I don't know if you've ever had a curiosity feeling this strong, where you fully know this will not end well, but you cannot help yourself. I'm talking like, I'm not talking about, oh man, I worked out hard today, so, oh, that pizza looks great. I shouldn't have it. You know, that kind of curiosity. Yeah. I'm talking about like, this is a problem. Have like, you? This will not end well. No. 
No. I usually have much better self-control than, like, this kind of situation? No. Yeah. No, I could usually see that result coming. I'm like, I don't want that result. I feel like I'm way too anxious for that. I would be so stressed out about not being prepared for this class, being so relieved that he got preoccupied and then we have to reschedule for the next night, that I would be leaving, see the glimmer of his memories in the pensive in the reflection, and go, huh, I wonder what that is. As I continue walking out to go try practicing, like, like, like I would be so relieved. I'd be so focused on being relieved that it would be yeah. the furthest thing. Yeah, it, would, would, it would be a passing fancy at best. Would never cross my mind Mm-mm. that that's even a thing I could do. He's an idiot. This was not one of his wiser choices. No. However, uh, he does it anyway. So... <laughs> Uh, Harry decides to take a look inside the pensive and his memories, and he gets transported into a classroom. It's the Defense Against the Dark Arts OWL. And he sees the Marauders, all four of them, and he sees uh, Snape right behind him, (laughs) pressing his nose against the paper, scribbling furiously to get as much down as he possibly can. Nerd. Nerd. Uh, You see... James and Sirius seeming to finish their essays pretty promptly, and then James proceeds to scribble L-E all over everything. That's cute. And Harry really just makes the decision like, oh man, I hope Snape just stays within earshot of these, of James and Sirius and Lupin, because he just really wants to follow them around. He's not even concerned about Snape at all. No, he's not. That's the best part of this. So um, Harry kind of gets to listen in on their, their conversations, and they figure out that one of the questions was about werewolves, and you get Lupin joking about werewolves being like, yeah, uh, signs of a werewolf. Uh, he's sitting in my seat. Yeah. He's wearing my clothes. Yeah. <laughs> he has my hairstyle. <laughs> like, um, I, so Here's my thing. Here's my thing that I have to question real quick. How do memories work? I have no idea. Because if... Presumably, if Harry is Harry hearing word for word the conversation that those four are having, that means Snape heard word for word the conversation that they were having. Yes. And just didn't seem at all disturbed by the fact that Lupin is openly referring to himself as a werewolf. I don't have answers. Like, I... I don't understand. I don't get it either, and I've wondered that before, because it feels like there's kind of like a radius that you can move around in these in these memories, but the radius is kind of larger than what like you or I would remember from an event. This is like us remembering walking along the street in Chicago, and outside of what you and I were doing, we remember the conversation that the people on the other side of the street were also having, right. which... What? And then Harry can see James scribbling hearts with L.E. when Snape is busy writing. Like, Snape didn't see him writing L.E. because he's got his nose literally in his essay. How does he know? How is that part of his memory? I don't know how memories work. No, right. It's almost like (laughs) Like, it's this weird, like, records the moment, but that's not how our memories work, so I don't know. I don't know how any of this works. I'm not sure. We do get some interesting Harry moments where he's watching James, and all he can think about is, you know, I really kind of want Wormtail to just get a grip about fawning over all of James's skills, 
And that idea of, like, Harry being so, like, oh, you know, whatever, I don't really want attention. Yeah. But then he notices that his dad, however, is actually really kind of relishing the attention. His dad's all about that attention. Kind of put him a little bit on a show, uh, and, you know, Harry's like, oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And then, eventually, Sirius says, you know, hey, all right. Stop it. I can't put up with Wormtail making all of these sounds and <laughs> gestures. Forget that. And James uh, agrees to stop, but then he notices that Sirius is bored. So what can he do to liven up the afternoon sitting under this tree? It's warm weather. Plenty of things you could do. Instead, he sides on a different game. The Snivelous game. And, <laughs> and we get, the, not the origin of Snivelous, but we get a little yeah. background to it. And, uh, spoiler alert, I'm not going to be kind to James here in this next section. Yeah, that's fine. So, essentially, James and Sirius use back-to-back spells against uh, Snape. We get Expelliarmus and Impedimenta. And then, uh, later on in this confrontation, James uses Scourgeify to wash out Snape's mouth, which ends up, like, gagging him, choking him, which, kind of dangerous. Just a little. Lily ends up intervening, uh, and, and... She's like, why are you even doing this to him? And he's, James says, it's just the fact that he exists. That's great. That's just fantastic. Um, Have you ever, can I interrupt with a question real quick? Have you ever had someone in your life where you met them and you just did not get along from the get-go? Yes. You know one, specifically. We worked with this individual. I don't know why I even asked that. That should have been at the forefront. Yep. Please proceed. So they continue this back and forth. Snape ends up cutting James across the cheek. James retaliates by hanging Snape upside down in the air, showing his legs and underwear in front of a crowd of people that have now gathered watching this event. Um, There's continued bullying of Severus before Lily takes out her own wand, which, here's a note, Sirius and James both look at the wand and are like, ooh. (laughs) I don't know if I want to mess with that. She's a very brilliant witch. That's a note that everybody should take, is James and Sirius are doing all of this, and they're talented in their own right, and they're like, that gives us pause. Yeah. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So shout out to Lily for that. Uh, And then uh, Snape ends up calling Lily a mudblood uh, for trying to help him, and he doesn't want the help of a mudblood, which Lily then gives a quick one-liner retort. Um, So you get a little bit of Lily's personality here in this whole interaction. And then Lily blasts James and says, Surprised your broom gets off the ground with your fat head on it. You make me sick. Sick being in all caps. (laughs) Go read the book. It's in all caps. (laughs) Strong language from Lily. And then um, James is like, Oh, okay, okay, I'll stop, I'll stop, I'll stop. (laughs) Lily leaves. James immediately after Lily leaves, Okay, who wants to see me take off Snively's pants? (laughs) Um, we are going to double back to this real quick. But it ends up with Snape not being pleased that Harry has entered his memories. No. Yanks him out of the You mean Harry got caught and now he's in trouble? Unbelievably enough. No. And uh, the chapter ends with Harry realizing that his father might actually have been somewhat what what Snape has been portraying him as. This arrogant, loudmouth... Uh, showboating kind of uh, human 
And he kind of dwells on this thought at the end. is like, oh man, is my father really all that great? This is actually a wonderful plot twist to end the chapter on. Because up until this point in the books, we haven't seen that side of James. Correct. So we've kind of bought into this narrative that Snape is being unfair to Harry. So he's also probably being unfair to James. We've heard like an anecdote or two about like, oh, James has made fun of Snape and blah, 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 blah. Seeing is different. Yes. What's your take on this whole scene? This is a rough scene for Harry because his dad does not come out in a good light for this. His mom comes out in a great light for this. She has her moments too, though. She does, but they're not unprovoked. The The retort to Snape was, is, provoked. was provoked. Yeah. They do include a detail. When James first flips him upside down, she has a hint of a smile before she comes back at James. Yeah. So, I mean, she's not a saint, per se. No, she's not. <laughs> but she's not bullying someone for fun. Correct. So... Um, so, the James of it all. 15-year-old James Potter, give or take. 15, mm-hmm. 16, depending on what he is in the year. Not great, but can you blame someone for how they treated someone in the past? Do you, in what way? Have you ever had um, issues with someone in, like, grade school or high school? Yes. And This is going to be... We're going to disagree on this. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know where this is going to go. And this might bleed into the spoiler section. That's fine. So we'll see. Um, but knowing someone that you've disagreed with or had an animosity towards mm-hmm. or even in a really aggressive way. Okay. And have you, like, held that against them forever and felt the same way forever? Yes. Okay, that is a quick answer. To this day. Wow, okay. Yes. Well, okay, this is an interesting answer. We That's have... why I said I okay. think we're going to disagree. All right, we might pause here. Let's pause here, because I feel like this is a whole discussion that we can yes. have. Yes. So let's pause here, and we'll get to the spoiler section. We'll... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're going to elaborate a little bit more on rivalry. So uh, stick around and we'll be right back. All right, so we are back with the spoiler section. And obviously we kind of left off the non-spoiler with uh, a little cliffhanger. Uh, about the James against Severus scene that we get here. What are your kind of thoughts on the whole Snape, James, back and forth? Um, I don't think that Snape is right for letting it carry and letting it bleed into how he treats Harry. James and Harry are two different people. Mm, it's been for sure a very long time, over 15 years. It's definitely something where I think to a degree he has to let go of some of that anger. On the other hand, James clearly deeply affected his life in a negative way 
And I think that there are some things like that where you don't get over that 100%. You try to find ways to cope with it. You try to find ways to grow. You try to heal. You try to redirect, you know, that energy into something else. But you can never really take away the impact that that person had on your life at that time. Mm -hmm. You don't ever get a redo. He's never going to be able to redo his experience at Hogwarts. So he does have to kind of mourn that a bit. Um, And part of mourning that for him might be that he doesn't forgive James. He's not required to forgive James. I'm not the type of person who thinks that you have to forgive someone to get over the anger or that you need to forgive someone in order to heal or to let it go. I think sometimes there are actually it's beneficial to keep a little bit of a grudge and to to keep a little bit of your anger. Um, And I will give you a bit of an example for that, which is a lot of... So the the person that you were asking me about in the... Right before we cut away to the spoilers, and you said, was there anyone, you know, who who affected you in high school and you didn't get along with them and, you know, you still hold a grudge with? And it's like, yes, there very much is. Um, And I don't really think about them on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I, if I saw them on the street, would avoid them. I don't want to engage with them in any sort of fashion, in any sort of way. But part of the reason that it still feels helpful to me to hold that grudge is because that grudge is the line of my self-respect. Because I spent a considerable, and this has happened to me a couple of times throughout my life, but... I'm using this because it's the age-appropriate one. I felt like I put everything I could into the relationship, and I feel like when I get to a point where I'm holding a grudge against someone, it's probably based on the fact that I spent a considerable amount of time trying to figure out if I was the problem and trying to, like, take it very deeply and fix what I could and try and work and redo. And I put a lot of pressure on myself, and I put a lot of pressure and fault on myself to in those situations so when I get to a point of saying I'm holding a grudge against someone it is me acknowledging I have done everything I possibly can in this scenario I have bent over backwards I have put all of the emotional energy in this situation that it possibly could handle and it's not me like it's I was willing to fight for the relationship or whatever not me Like, Mm -hmm. that's the line where I'm like, that's my line of self-respect. That's the line where I say, okay, it's not my fault. I think you had some poignant uh, thoughts, especially with, there are some things that people do that cut so deep, they, they leave scars. Yeah. And those scars don't always heal. And they don't always heal well, even if they do. And I think what James does to Snape in this memory cuts deep. Yep. And honestly, I can't say I blame Severus for holding a negative opinion of James Potter forevermore. Yeah. Based on the seeming hell that he has made Snape's life. Yeah. Continuously. And some of the things that he does here, it's not even just picking at him in a hallway. He's making it a public spectacle. 
Yeah, this isn't exchanging a few unkind words. This is, he's dangling him upside down and exposing his underwear. Yeah. Uh, that's They're, going to scar you. I mean, this isn't, uh, some people might excuse this away as boys will be boys. This is just straight bullying. Yeah, this is just toxic. Toxic. Toxic is a good word for it. And it's not okay. No. And him repeatedly you know, referring to him as Snivellus and never Severus, never Snape, never... Just Snivellus over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, referencing his appearance. I, I know there are some James Potter fans. Anna, sorry. <laughs> uh, and I know there are a lot of people that read this from the perspective of Harry and read this from like, you know, Severus is bad. Pure bad. That's all he is. Yeah. And they don't take into account what has made him the man that he is today. Yeah. And there's a lot to that. And we get glimpses the first time Harry breaks into his mind and we see what's alluded to as domestic violence and him crying in a corner. And now we get this where he's bullied at school for situations that, let's be real, James doesn't know what's going on in Severus's personal life. I don't think he cares to ask or find out. No. So is there a reason for Severus being what he is as a 15-year-old boy in that scene that maybe... James has not taken into account. Is there reasons for his appearance? Is yep. there reasons for his demeanor? Is there reasons for his, you know, actions, beliefs, whatever? Some of which Snape does bring upon himself. I'm not absolving Snape no. completely here because he does say some ugly things. He does uh, lash out himself. Snape's not completely innocent here. I do want to make that clear, but... And it's not even just James. It's not only is he bullying Severus, the, this begins with James and Sirius double hitting him. That's two on one on top of it. I'm sorry. Really? <laughs> That's not cool. If you want to pick a fight with someone, how about just at least one on one it? <laughs> Are you not confident in your own abilities to be doing this? You have to have Sirius behind you? Or you have to have James behind you. It's this does not look good. No, on a lot of different levels. I don't think it was ever meant to be a fair fight. It was meant to just be a show. Yeah. And I, I will say, and I will give this book a compliment because I know I've been very harsh on this book in the past. Um, I do like that this book is where things start to take on a lot more nuance, and I think that this is a really good example of we're starting to add a lot of depth to Snape. We're adding a bit of depth to James, touch to Lily, bit to Sirius. We're starting to flesh out a little bit more of backstories for things. And I think in situations like this where, like you've said, where Snape has been portrayed as like overwhelmingly negative, I think it's really interesting to shine a light onto how he got to be the way that he is and also realize that like for as many decisions that he has made that have been malicious and have been wrong and, and we cannot defend like the you know mudblood slurs and getting into the defense against the dark arts very heavily there were also a lot of things that there are 
there is some room for sympathy for him like what you mentioned where it's the domestic violence he had a very rough childhood he's awkward in high school he doesn't have a lot of friends he's now feuding with the popular kids in school i mean yes he's on a really bad path but also like he hasn't had a lot of real opportunities to not be just and i get snape fell into the dark arts at hogwarts but i'm sorry does no one think that james and sirius bullying him making it very hard for him to make friends Mm -hmm. doesn't shove him a little bit more towards the only people that will accept him which happens to be the people that are involved in the dark arts and they're like oh well if they're not accepting we'll accept you we'll accept you and you could you can come with us yeah well now you're just perpetuating the same thing you're like it's a never-ending circle and it's unfortunate that james seems to have continued this even with lily's uh constant protests against it so i'm glad that you mentioned lily because i have a question for you because this occurred to me while i was reading this chapter today Mm mm-hmm the title of the chapter is Snape's Worst Memory. Yes. Why do you think that this is the worst? I think it's a combination of things. I, I think it's two things specifically. I, obviously, it's an embarrassing moment where yep. James gets one up on him. And that's not a proud moment of his. And that's no. something that you probably want to bury deep yep. <laughs> inside your subconscious and probably never want it to crop back up. Like, if you have anxiety before you go to bed, and you shut everything off, and that thing that happened in fourth grade where you made an idiot out of yourself pops up in your head randomly somehow, that's the memory that Snape gets before he goes to bed. Yeah, that's fair. And it's an embarrassing moment, and it's not great. No. I think I know where you're going with this, though. And it's when Lily tries to defend him, and Snape refutes it in a pretty nasty, ugly way. And I think he does regret that. And I think it's both. What I never, what never clicked in my head for some reason was we've just witnessed the moment where Snape truly lost Lily. Mm. And we're in the spoiler section, so we can talk about it. Yep. But we don't know any of that relationship as of yet. This obviously drives a wedge. This is huge. She goes from wanting to defend him to just, you're on your own. We do know that, uh, again, this would be a spoiler because we don't get the background of this for a while, but Snape and Lily have a history. Yeah. They've known each other pre-Hogwarts. They met each other actually pre-Hogwarts. So they went into Hogwarts as friends. Yep. And then as things happen, uh, you grow. And there are some changes, and you go off in different directions. And maybe you're not the closest of friends by the time you leave that school. But for someone who's purportedly in love with Lily... Correct. This is a huge... Like, this is why... I think that the I think that J.K. Rowling wants you to think that this is Snape's worst memory because it's so unbelievably embarrassing because of what James and Sirius do. And I think that this is James, that this is Snape's worst memory, not just because of that, but because this is when he loses Lily. I think that there's I like a. It. I think it's a double meaning. I like it. 
I and like I it a lot. I think we just don't get the context for it until, until later. Way later. I like that idea. I would not refute that at all. And you also get Lily coming back at him, which I don't think is probably a great memory for him either, having no. Lily like take a shot at him. Right. Because why this moment, out of all the other moments, if James and Sirius are if a penchant for bullying him, that means that there are hundreds of moments like this. So what could potentially differ, differentiate this memory versus any other memory? It's fair. And we know that when he calls her mudblood, that's when he loses her. So I think that that's part of this. Why do you think Snape chooses now? Or why do you think Snape calls her mudblood in this moment? That's a really good question. I don't know if it's a fear of his to look like weak being saved by a girl or if he's... We know that they're, I would assume, kind of growing apart at this point and he is kind of circling around his dark arts friends. I don't know if he's doing it to try to save face with them. I, I genuinely don't know. What do you think? It comes off as he's trying to feign some sort of strength in this weak moment of his. Could see that. And that's the best he can come up with, uh, spit an insult. Yeah. Um, because, I, again, anything magically he tried, he was outnumbered. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, well, Lily was offering to be backup. Well, that, that was his backup was yeah. Lily, and then he blew that opportunity. Terrible. I don't know. I think it was just a prideful moment for him where he's... He got knocked down a couple pegs, and he's trying to find some way to build himself back up to where he could stand on his own. I I like your take on it, because I think if he could take that back, he would take back his word choice. I think he would. And I think he regrets it. So, now he's compounded, arguably, one of the more embarrassing moments of his life, with James and Sirius, to... One of the more regrettable moments of his life, pushing away Lily. He's having a really bad day. It's a really bad day. It's a big chapter because of this memory scene, and we get a lot more context, and we get a lot more... We get a window to... <clears throat> just because they're, quote-unquote, heroes doesn't mean they're perfect. Uh, they have flaws. They're humans. They make mistakes. They have their down moments. And I'm referring to James and Sirius. It, they, yeah. they have their bad moments. Yep. And heck, you could throw this upon Lupin, too, because he just sat there the entire time. He didn't say anything. He didn't try to intervene. He's the prefect. He's the one that's supposed to be wrangling them in. Yeah. So Lily came out of nowhere to try to save Snape. Yeah, no, that's true. I think we've exhausted the Snape-James talk. I'm, yeah, I okay. don't have anything else. A couple of quick spoilers before we end it here. Uh, Fred and George in the Vanishing Cabinet on the first floor. Yep. Obviously, this Vanishing Cabinet, this is not the last we see of the Vanishing Cabinet. It is not. It is such a nice little uh, teaser for things to come. This is. This reminds me of the put-outer. Yeah. Like, it's such a subtle, small little thing that you think, okay, that was kind of cool, and then it'll go away, and then, no, it does not go away. <laughs> it comes back in spectacular fashion. I like that, since we're in the spoiler session section and we can talk about it, I like that even in the next book they're like, oh yeah, I got that idea from when you shoved Montague into the vanishing cabinet. It's like, oh, something that's like so funny here ends up being so detrimental in the next book. I kind of like the contrast. It's I, some, some of her best writing, as I think, in some of that like pulls from before. Yes. It's, it's really cool. Yes. 
And then, last thing, Harry with the dream and feeling like a treat was taken away from him. Again, I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, obviously, his connection with Voldy is strong. We're learning that throughout this this book. Why is it strong? It He's part Horcrux. Yeah. Is that treat taken away his curiosity? Or is it Voldy and his delight? I think it's Voldy. You think it's just pure Voldy and not Harry's own curiosity of being like, I finally got there, I'm... I'm, like, thrilled. Harry has a lot of emotion when it comes to anger and not much else. So it feels out of place to me the way that that scene was written because it doesn't... It feels a level removed. Like, there's... Harry describing his anger and then there's Harry describing this like vague feeling of like this thing that I want and it's right there but he doesn't know he can't give any more specifics than what we've seen in the dream are you thinking it's like he becomes Voldy and then that gap that you're talking about is him disassociating and like pulling away from that and then becoming himself again I think that's I think it's him he can't articulate what he's looking for or, like, what he's trying to find. Or, like, why he's so preoccupied with it. And I think that that, like, level, that 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 distance of his emotion to his being able to articulate it, I think that that is because it's from Voldemort. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I, considering we had another curious Harry moment here with the pensive, I was like, is this his own curiosity? He does peaking? have a lot of curiosity. But he can articulate why he's curious about the pensive. He can't articulate anything about that dream. Okay, so you think it's full his connection with Voldy that's dominating everything there. That's what I would vote. Okay, Fair enough. I just had to ask the question. Yeah, no, you're asking good questions. <laughs> Do you have anything else from the spoiler section that you wanted to talk about? No. That was it for me. Cool. I think we will wrap it up here then. Hopefully you've enjoyed our conversation on Snape's worst memory and the deep dive that we kind of did on that. Um, obviously there's a lot to talk about and... Uh, let us know what your thoughts are regarding James in that whole scene and Sirius and Lupin, Lily and Snape, all of them. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram with your thoughts. Uh, Jen is actually going to be more active on our Instagram, so keep an eye out for those posts. And I think you're also making a trip to the Wizarding World here soon? I am. Okay, I am. so we're going to get a lot more pictures of the Wizarding World put on our Instagram in the coming days and weeks and months and however long she decides to post them. <laughs> however long it takes me to edit them. Fair enough. And I know she takes a ton of pictures. Yeah, I do. So it does take a while to filter through them. But uh, keep a lookout on our Instagram for that. And as always, support the podcast by sharing the podcast. Anybody you know that's a Harry Potter fan, let them know what we're doing. Uh, we thank everybody for listening and liking and commenting and sharing. Giving us a review on Spotify also helps. We also have a link wherever you can uh, find this podcast for donations. Uh, we put a lot of time and effort into these. Um, that would be awesome. And also we have a voice message link. So you can leave us a voice message and we can hear your thoughts about James bullying Snape. And we'll be back for chapter 29, uh, career advice. We get career advice in the next chapter, Exciting. Jen. Exciting! We will be right back next week. Thanks for listening, guys. 
Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.